Well, space is there, and we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there, and new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Welcome to Achieve Great Things. This is episode 15. This is RJ. Thanks for joining this week. For the past couple episodes, we've talked a lot about um, polling and analytics and um, and listening and advocacy. And this week, we're going to do something a little bit different. We have um, two guests who started a project called Future Shift that um, provides consulting services and training and workshops based on the idea of applying science fiction techniques to um, social change. It's a really interesting conversation, really got, got us out of um, the way we typically think about social change communications, and so we really thought it would be interesting and, and, and useful to our listeners. So hope you enjoy. Um, there's some links um, in the show notes to some of the things that Joe and Amanda mention. So uh, check those out. Please review us on iTunes if you haven't. Helps other people discover the podcast. Thank you for listening. Send thoughts, comments, ideas to podcast.hadaway.com and um, we'll keep bringing this to you and um, hope you enjoy. Have a great week. We're here with Joe and Amanda, who are the co-founders of Future Shift, which is at futureshift.net. Thank you both for joining. Thank you. Um, I'm also here with Kate, who has joined us for the past few episodes. Hello. Um, This is a really interesting conversation because, as I was just saying before we started, this is probably the most sort of off the beaten path of communications that we've gone so far. Happy to be the resident weirdos. <laughs> I saw that there's a picture, your picture on your website has you holding a sign that says weird. Yes, uh, I so. found that at a, a antique market and uh, got into sort of a, a fight with the guy who said his booth wasn't open yet and he didn't want to sell it to me. <laughs> but I, I felt like this embodied who I was at such a visceral level that uh-huh. I, I sort of staked him out and wore him down slowly but surely. Nice. <laughs> and now that's, that seems to be, you seem to be embracing that. Yeah. <laughs> embracing that. And that's it's cool. So can you just give the listeners like the couple sentence version of, of Future Shift and what you all are seeking to accomplish? Yeah, so we started Future Shift because we saw a lot of connections between as as geeks and lovers of science fiction, we saw so many connections between the science fiction that we loved and the work that we were doing in the social change space. And so we founded Future Shift to try to bring those worlds together and help organizations and activists and also people in the science fiction community really think about how we can use these tools and this way of thinking about the future in our social change work. Awesome. And um, I'm not a big science fiction fan, but like, but I, but I'm sure that some of our listeners are. So people, once we get into the details, I don't want to be ignorant about the genre. So we'll, we'll make sure to fill people in as much as we can. Um, 
So from a communications perspective, I'm interested just to hear how, how these connections, how you originally made this connection before we get into sort of where it's going. Yeah, we um, uh, have met a couple of times and sort of were talking with a lot of friends that also worked in social change fields and were also really interested in science fiction um, and really seeing that there were these incredibly common themes, the foremost of which is that both people who are trying to do social change work and science fiction writers are imagining the world as very different than it is. Um, both groups of people need a theory of change for how that world gets to be that way, right? So the theory of change in Harry Potter uh, is that muggles are too sort of blind and focused on their own problems mm -hmm. to see this rich, beautiful, wizarding world around them. Mm -hmm. um, and the same way we need that, we need a theory of change in, in organizing uh, and in nonprofit work a mm -hmm. lot of times to say, we don't think that the way the world currently exists is serving groups of people, it's a healthy, sustainable future, and so how do we create a new world and what's the theory of change for how to get there? Awesome. And did you both work in nonprofits or campaigns or what's your what were your um, social change experiences? Yeah, we've both worked in the social change space for a number of years. I was um, at a nonprofit for about six years, and I was in nonprofit consulting before that. And, and I've worked on uh, social change tech and mm -hmm. nonprofits uh, in a variety of different sectors. Awesome. Um, where we usually start is over the past year or so, the communications landscape seems to have shifted a lot for social change communicators, at least. Um, what do you all see as the biggest sort of lessons you've learned or the biggest changes you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I think we saw in the election that everything is different than either how it used to be or how we would like it to be in the communication space, mm -hmm. that facts don't matter as much, that having a really strong narrative, whether or not it's necessarily based in reality, mm -hmm. is really influential to people, <laughs> and that we need to be telling different stories and really upping how we communicate as a sector if we want to be making change. Yeah, I think there was this feeling coming out of the the 2012 and even 2008 campaigns that like data will save us, mm -hmm. right? Data is the thing that is going to create campaign and political and social outcomes in this country. And I think data is very important. I believe in data. Mm -hmm. But if 2016 taught us anything, it's how much stories matter. Mm -hmm. Like that was a, a campaign where story trumped fact, story trumped truth, story mm -hmm. trumped data in a lot of different ways. And I, you know, pun somewhat intended, I guess. Uh, but really, I, I think one of my takeaways from that is we cannot over rely on data. Mm -hmm. We really have to understand the importance of narrative and story as something that moves people along their personal journeys and connects with them in a very deep way. I think one of the really powerful things about science fiction, because it's so imagination-based, um, is that it can do that in a lot of ways that traditional fiction might not be able to because it transports people sort of out of their reality. Mm -hmm. yeah. And we've seen science fiction do that in the past. I mean, Star Trek is famous for having the first black woman in a leading role in a mm -hmm. television show, and she was on the bridge of the Enterprise there, and there were you know, who knows how many little black girls in this country who mm -hmm. saw that show and imagined a different possibility for themselves in the future. And we've heard lots of stories from women who have gone into science or technology um, nice. based on that role model. And I think science fiction can continue to do that if we're conscious about how we tell those stories. Are we living in a science fiction novel now? <laughs> well, it's, it's, we joked, actually, we were talking about doing a webinar, and the title of it was going to be When when Dystopian Futures Become Current mm -hmm. Events. 
because it, it does feel like, especially there's been this like incredible trend towards dystopian fiction that's existed in the U.S. over the past uh, five or six years or so. The rise of the Hunger Games, mm-hmm. and there's been sort of a number of other young adult dystopian series mm-hmm. that have had a lot of commercial success. Um, and now we're actually seeing like some of the fears that mm-hmm. people have been writing about as imaginary future fears become reality when we're looking at like what the state of surveillance is in the U.S., mm-hmm. what the state is of respect for citizens' privacy, um, how vulnerable populations, women and people of color, are being treated by the government. Um, so I think mm-hmm. that, that there's, there's definitely a lot of richness there, um, but there's also a really fantastic opportunity right now to think about what the flip side of that trend is and to really imagine sort of bolder futures um, and say if we can go down this sort of surprising and unimaginable path towards a dystopia we actually can do the same towards utopia mm-hmm. yeah i think i feel like science fiction in the popular imagination at least is like is tends to be more dystopian or that's what people think of is like these crazy future realities right mm-hmm. so just thinking about black mirror which is a really interesting show that takes you know technology trends sort of to the extreme but but there is an opposite sort of perspective too um what 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 kind of um stories or or novels inspired you all to think this way are there like are there great positive outcome books that people should think about reading uh, so one one of my favorites is uh, Ursula Le Guin. I think is a really fantastic author, um, and she does uh, she's done a lot of um, sort of imagining of worlds in which gender norms uh, mm-hmm. and human sexuality uh, is very different from the way it is here, mm-hmm. um, and in ways where um, gender is sort of something that is not binary, that is not socially enforced in the same ways, that is you know biologically fluid, mm-hmm. um, and sexuality that is really focused on uh, personal agency mm-hmm. and consent, and a lot of sort of the underpinnings when we look towards having a, a policy agenda where people are are safe and well cared for and have freedoms in society there's a there's a great deal of overlap um, and she's been one of my one of my inspirations hmm. yeah I talked a minute ago about Star Trek but mm-hmm. another example that's really inspired me is Octavia Butler okay. um, and especially her parable of the sower is I think really successful in it's it starts out in a very dystopian space and mm-hmm. doesn't exactly leave it but it's very hopeful in that the main characters are trying to get out of this situation or they're trying to build a community build a mm. safe the space that's safe within this world that has fallen apart mm. around them and so it's very positive in that way and helping us imagine especially in times like now how do we get back from a situation that feels impossible what sort of leadership and community do we need to do that nice. and I and I feel like it's no accident that you and I both chose female creators mm-hmm. as like people that were that we are specifically admire for creating these positive visions and i think one of those reasons is that people who have been marginalized by society in different ways need to like need to imagine what a better version could be to hope for that future and to work for that future. We at Future Shift have sort of a strong hypothesis that you can't be what you can't imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one of the reasons that we really need to actually have more richly imagined positive visions of the future in culture, in fiction, um, in the television we watch, in the movies we watch, um, because we need to have models out there to strive for. 
Yeah, and I think when we talk about positive visions in fiction, I think a lot of times people shy away from that or they think that it's going to be boring. Like, why do we want to talk about positive stuff? You can't tell a good story about a world where everything is perfect all Mm -hmm. the time. Um, But I think there is a lot of room in creating worlds that work better than the one that we're currently in and exploring what are the challenges there, what... How do we get there and then what do we do? Because it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But there are still lots of stories to tell that can be exciting and emotional and powerful in those spaces. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of finding where those stories are, where it's you know relatively easy to tell an interesting story about people struggling in a dystopian, you know, zombie-ridden <laughs> future. But there's, there's a greater challenge and I think greater opportunity when we look at positive futures. Is, is science fiction as a genre, did it start off with as a sexist genre? In my head, I feel like it's like, it's just dudes like trying to create more positive futures of, you know, having perfect women and doing, and like having yeah. their own like imagined lives. Is that like sort of how it started yeah. or is that a, is that enough? Is that a correct perception? I mean, to to way oversimplify, I mean, science fiction really took off in the, the 50s and 60s and it, in the early days, it was mostly white, mostly men, writers creating these stories. And it was, I think in that time, extremely hopeful compared to how it is now. Mm. People were imagining spaceships mm-hmm. and futures, like things that you know now seem a lot closer and maybe less tantalizing. But they were really imagining where can humanity go, and it was this very white male-dominated mm-hmm. vision of what the future looks like. And that, and that changed in the 70s, sort of? Yeah, I, th- I think it's been a, a growth and an evolution mm-hmm. throughout. Um, I think that there's been sort of both uh, a proliferation of uh, people of color and women that mm-hmm. are creating science fiction, that are writing books, that are creating TV shows, and there's also a broader mainstream recognition of the folks who have been doing that for a long time. Uh, so people who are prolific writers like Octavia Butler um, are, are starting to really get sort of wider recognition mm-hmm. um, that is very, very well deserved. And there's a broadening of the space recently, I think, especially in the past few years, which you know, we still have a long way to go, but there's a lot more attention being paid in publishing to women and mm-hmm. authors of color. Um, and I would encourage folks to check out the Own Voices movement. There's been a move towards marginalized people having spaces to tell their own stories within traditional publishing, which I think is really important. Nice. We can we can definitely link to that. Um, is there... Sorry, I'm going to keep going like far into science fiction, but we'll get back to the actual topics. Is there like a relationship between how the current times are and the way science fiction goes? Cause it seems like in the 50s there was anxiety about the Cold War and about nuclear annihilation, and maybe that's what like spurred people to look at alternative you know, paths where humanity would go. And my, my limited understanding of the research is that there there is a little bit of a relationship, an inverse relationship inverse, between yeah. sort of what the economic and prosperity trends are of the time and then sort of what the trends are in popular culture, in science fiction, but also a little bit broader than mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, The Handmaid's Tale, for mm-hmm. example, has been one of my longtime favorite books, um, and I have not been able to bring myself to watch the new series yet, which I've heard is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Um, but it just it just hits too close to home yeah. right now. And I I come home at the end of the day, and I'm just like I don't I don't know if I want that stress. I'm yeah. just gonna watch MasterChef Junior again. <laughs> Look at some little kids cooking some pastries, yeah, yeah. and isn't that adorable? Yep. Um, so I I think that that's a, there's a very real um, sort of fatigue mm-hmm. uh, that happens um, in people doing social chains work, and I think that science fiction um, can help with that fatigue in a lot of ways. It can exacerbate it, mm-hmm. um, or it can give people sort of an escape to say like ah like there is hope for the future here mm-hmm. here are the the really positive ways that humanity is traveling and we need to encourage a little bit more of that yep I also loved The Handmaid's Tale book, and I made it through one episode of the series. It <laughs> literally brought me to tears. Yeah. <laughs> it but was the, close to home. But, I, I mean, it's a, a fantastic book. I would encourage anyone to read it. And the book is a couple decades old, right? Mm-hmm. Or more? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah it, it was born out of the um, the sort of moral majority rise to power mm-hmm. in the 1980s. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting that there, you can sort of see some common trends between when that came as a book and when it came as a series. And I think that if you probably looked closely, you might see some similar ebbs and flows of how, you know, science fiction is reflecting what's going on in society and vice versa. Yeah. Oh, well, one of the interesting things about that book is it seems, it's like believable, but also the most horrible outcome you can imagine. And Margaret Atwood has said that in her research, everything that happens in that book to women has happened in the real world mm. at some point in history, sometimes not very distant history. So it's it's science fiction, but it's really based in reality. Yeah, so well, let's take a more hopeful turn. <laughs> um, so tell us about Future Shift. How does it work? Like, what are the services you provide and how do you interact with people and organizations? Like, what's the, what's the model? Yeah, so are we... Um, we're a young organization, and we work with anyone in the social change space. We work with organizations. We'll also work with activists. Um, we're going to be working with speculative fiction writers as well. And our core offerings are workshops. We'll come in and do a workshop with an organization, which could be focused on sort of creative visioning and team building. It could be focused more on communications and strategy mm-hmm. and how do you message your issues in these times and helping organizations think about how to incorporate the themes and messaging of speculative fiction into their day-to-day work. Um, That could range from anything from incorporating ideas of how we envision a more positive future into like an email campaign Mm -hmm. all the way to potentially like creating speculative fiction around your issues, working with a writer to help bring it to life for your supporters. So we see this as partly a way to spark creativity Mm -hmm. and inspiration in staff, Mm -hmm. um, partly a way to inspire supporters to re-engage with your issue and really emotionally connect with the importance of it, um, and a way to just bring a more positive message to the work that we're doing. And we're actually going to be uh, offering one of those workshops as a webinar uh, coming up in a few weeks. Uh, So if folks are interested in that, they can uh, email info at futureshift.net. Uh, and we'll make sure that we hook you up with information about that. Or you can sign up for our email list on our website, yes. and we will send you the registration. I love this idea of like you can't see, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Kind of translated to science fiction because I think a lot of times resistance to social change or progress, something you know, is the fear of the unknown. And it's like you know, okay, if we didn't have traditional gender roles, then what do we have in place of that? If we don't have traditional, um, you know, norms around. Sex sexuality and gender constructs and all of that, then what do we have? And it's that fear of 
the unknown and things that are unfamiliar that I think drives a lot of regressive policies, especially when you get to looking at things like reproductive health and like trans rights and um, LGBT rights mm-hmm. and um, all of that kind of stuff. So I think it's it's a really interesting concept to think about how we can frame those in a similar way to the way that science fiction does and showing, actually laying out for people, here's what that would look like. And to your point, it's it's not necessarily perfect, but it's an alternate, alternate model for how we're operating now that could work. And here's how it could work. And I guess, is that sort of the, the road that you go down with the, the organizations you work with? Yeah, and one thing we find talking to a lot of organizations is it's we're often fighting things in this space. We're trying to stop bad legislation, but actually putting forth good legislation and putting forth good ideas for how to make things better, it's harder and it's more important, and it doesn't get done as often because we're so often on the defensive. But I think now it's more important than ever to remind people about what we're actually trying to achieve, not just what we're trying mm-hmm. to fight. Yeah, I, I think to underscore Joe's point, like we're in this moment in time where it's so easy for folks that are, are doing social change work to spend 100% of their time and energy just like shoring up the defenses mm-hmm. um, yeah. and trying to keep like real devastation from raining down on the country. And that's like very, very critical work. Um, but it's, I think, really important that we actually think that like, what we're fighting for, right, is not a world where we're just not massively deporting people who are have families and have done nothing wrong. Right, right. It's it's a world where we have, you know, a humane, sustainable, prosperous immigration policy. Um, and I think when we when we start to think through on that sort of level of specificity, um, it's really helpful to have some kind of mechanism to take a step back um, and to say we need to obviously keep up the resistance work that we're doing, uh, but we also need to understand on a deeper level, like what is the image of what we're trying to create? Yeah, we, um, and in all of our client projects, every like kickoff meeting that we have, we do a visualization exercise that's designed to get people just out of the mm-hmm. writing my, you know, functional description of my organization and what do you want the world to look like when you're when you've accomplished your goal. And it sounds like this is what you're describing is that, but taken to a much mm-hmm. a much deeper level. And it's sometimes helpful, uh, you know, it's when you're when you're actually doing like work planning, right? Mm-hmm. In the in the thick of things. It's mm-hmm. so easy to be like, well, I would love a world where such and such happened, but that's not gonna be the case because we don't have the resources for that, or this person would never go for it. Like there's a lot of roadblocks in your way. Mm-hmm. And when you can take your mind out of that headspace and put it somewhere else, put it in a colony on Mars, mm-hmm. put it in a totally like crazy fictional universe, it's easier to sort of let some of that stuff fall away and get at like what your real goals are Mm -hmm. and what really the transformative capabilities are of the work that you're doing and then when you come back to that real world it's easy to say okay you know we we really need to solve this because it's a roadblock to this this really powerful vision that we've created nice do you i know you said you're a young organization and just kind of still still growing but do you have any favorite stories or moments from working with people i love sort of the moment when we're doing workshops where people um, like 
you can tell that they start to get nerdy about it. Mm -hmm. And I use that word very loosely Mm -hmm. because we do workshops with folks who have no history or interest in science fiction. They are not going to go home and start collecting Star Wars action figures uh, (laughs) after, after doing a workshop with us. But when uh, we're walking through them, them through the process of creating a world, for example, and they start getting really intense about the details mm. of the world and saying, oh, yes, yes, in a world where uh, there was no prison system, like the, the, this is how people would speak and this is the kind of clothes mm. that they would wear. And you can tell that they're like really picturing that as, as like oh. an absolute reality. Um, and they're getting like as nerdy about it mm-hmm. as I get when you want to talk to me about Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God, of course I want to talk about yeah. Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> that's cool so you yeah. see there like people's imaginations being opened up yeah you can is... see that their imaginations being opened up and you can see um the imaginary becoming tactile and i think that mm-hmm. there's a lot of power in that mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think that's the the one of the big things about this is being able to visualize and conceptualize and have stories when people start trying to create characters in these worlds that they've just invented themselves mm-hmm. within this you know, the past hour of a the workshop, and they, it really becomes, it, it gets ingrained in their head, and I think it opens up new ways of thinking about the world, because if mm-hmm. we have all these stories about how how society works, how people behave heroically, how people make change, and if we can expand those stories that are in people's minds when mm-hmm. they're doing this work, or, you know, people that we're communicating with, people who are, you know, maybe on the verge of becoming activists, if we can tell them the right story and get them that excited is what we see from people in our workshops. I think that we could we could do a lot more. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it sounds like that's is a really great approach to getting the concrete benefits of what this world looks like because that's something that we also struggle with oftentimes you've got this vision of the world where every child has access to the educational opportunities they need to be successful but what does that actually mean for you and for your daily life and how does that change the way that you go to work and walk Mm -hmm. and dress and all of that so that's a really I like the the creativeness of the approach to really get down to that. Yeah. What does it actually do for people? What does it look like? We always talk in nonprofit storytelling about the importance of telling one person's story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we're talking about work that we haven't achieved yet, we don't have those real world stories to turn to, but we can still tell those stories in a fictional sense and help people imagine what it would be like. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so thinking about social change broadly and where we are, what do you all think the biggest opportunities are for communicators? I mean, I'm really excited by the premise that hope is greater than fear. <laughs> and and we have a lot to fear right now, but we also have a whole lot to hope for. And I think that there is just a tremendous opportunity for us to say, for us to, to stand up and say, you know what, we're not going to let the agenda and the conversation be set entirely from this place of fear. Um, we're going to set our own agenda and we're going to say, we have a vision of the future. We know what we want. We hope for it. It's it's big. It's audacious. And maybe it's a little bit crazy to be coming out with something like that at a moment like this when, mm. when there are a lot of threats to a lot of very basic stuff for folks in this country. Um, but I, I think that it's really important. Nice. Yeah, I agree. There's I've been amazed by the energy coming out of the election and mm-hmm. the resistance movement. And I think our challenge is how do we keep that going? How do we feed it and how do we how do we, you know, build on it to keep creating change, you know, both in resisting what we need to overturn right now, but also in creating more positive things going forward. And just from and we can 
talk about this or not, it's up to you guys, but just from an entrepreneurial perspective, are you guys just doing this, like bootstrapping it, or do you have supporters <laughs> in philanthropy, or how, how are you approaching that, and any big lessons so far? We'd love to have supporters. In <laughs> <laughs> um, this is just a project that we're doing on our own. Um, we do offer these workshops and consulting services to anyone who's interested in them. Cool. Yeah. Any big lessons so far from starting your own organization? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's uh, it's been incredibly helpful for me to have Joe as a thought partner. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, having, having done stuff on my own in the past, having a thought partner is, like, really great to get stuff off the ground. Um, it's so much healthier than <laughs> living and working in a silo. Um, and and that's, been a, that's been a really great experience. Uh, but I think also it's that um, people, when they spend a little bit of time thinking about this, actually really, to use a very sci-fi term, really grok it mm. at a deep level, um, that they, they see that there's a connection between sort of the imagination that happens in science fiction and sort of the vision of a different world mm-hmm. and then the, the hard social change work. Um, and it's not a huge stretch to connect those mentally. And then it's just sort of going through the journey of what does that look like in, in implementing it in certain ways. Cool. We like to end with asking guests what one insight or idea you would leave people with, people who are communicating? I'll suggest sit down and think about the issue that you work on and what is that issue going to look like 100 years from now? What could it look like 100 years from now? Is your organization going to still be working on this issue? Will you have put yourselves out of business? Um, if it is still an issue, how has it changed? And what what are the, the best and worst case scenarios for what we could be dealing with at that time? Wow, awesome. Uh, and I would say uh, I would go home and watch your favorite movie again mm-hmm. and think about why that's your favorite movie and what about the world in particular, not just the character, but mm-hmm. about the world of that movie is compelling. Awesome. That's great. Those are two very unique ones that we haven't we haven't heard before. So <laughs> that's awesome. This is really fun. I feel like we could talk about this for a long time. Um, so thank you all for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Thanks again for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give us a review there. Um, shoot us an email at podcast at hadaway.com if you have thoughts, suggestions, comments. Thank you very much for listening. See you next week. Well, space is there, and we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked.